As I walk amongst these foundations, I see concrete into solid rock, firm and sound. I remember walking amongst the foundations of the old city of Corinth. Rubble, not so firm, not so solid and grounded. Yet Paul writes to the people in Corinth in his first letter to the Corinthians. And we learn what's good about the church. God has built for us a solid foundation, sound and firm. Jesus is the head of our church. How is everyone this morning? Good? If you have a child here this morning and you realize that the kids' church isn't on, that's okay. I have a solution for you. Just in the back over there in the right-hand corner is some kids' packs. So if your children haven't gotten them yet, I apologize for the lolly that's in the bag. But they're not my kids and I get to spoil them. That is my prerogative. So if your child hasn't picked up the, the coloring in pack at the back, please make sure that they do, and it will um, give them something to do during the sermon. It is fantastic to be here this morning. I'm just going to ask a question. I'm going to put it out there. How many of you have a sibling who is smarter than you? Put your hand up. <sighs> It is so good to feel like I'm not alone in this department. All right? So I have a brother. He is two and a half years older than me. And he would probably be on the genius scale. So you can sympathize now because that was not me. He got straight A's. He... um. He was the type of guy that, and still is, the type of guy that would go in to classes, he would record what was being said, he would come back home and transcribe that. Now, to me, that's just ridiculous. He was the type of guy that just learned by himself to speak and read and write Greek and Hebrew. Who does that? And me... Then there's me. Like, I, I can almost picture this conveyor belt in heaven. And my brother and I are on this conveyor belt, and as I'm coming along and, and everything, God sneezes. Just as the time as I'm going by, and my brother got everything. <laughs> you know, he was just, he's just that kind of guy. Me, on the other hand, me. My dad said to me, you know, Terry, if you can get 60% in school, I will let you watch TV. Did I do that? No, 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 no. I did not do that. My father used to say to, said to me after, he didn't say it to me when I was younger, that he worried for me. He didn't know what I would become. And so you can understand here that where am I going with this story? Well, when I was in grade 12, my brother was helping me with the choices I was making for my classes in going into grade 12, and he told me to take philosophy. And to him, that was a great thing, and you can get it from where his mind goes. To me, I didn't even know what philosophy meant. 
And so for those of you who do not understand what philosophy is, it is the study of knowledge, the reality of existence. So people sit down and they talk about this stuff. And so I thought, yeah, sure, why not? So I took philosophy. It lasted one week. And I dropped that class really quick smart. The reason I'm bringing this up for you is because the city of Corinth in which we are talking about was a city based on philosophy. Do you know that there were about 80 schools that just taught philosophy? We know from what we have been learning in the past three weeks that Paul spent 18 months in Corinth and he was teaching the people there. And he was sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and, and the church of Christ was born. And so then he went on on his missionary journey, and while he was away, he heard that there was troubles in this camp, that there was a whole bunch of things happening in this new church. So he writes this letter. Now, as we mentioned before, this is a, a city that has philosophical roots. So you can imagine why they sat down and, and they were debating things back and forth because that's what they do. And you, in verse 12 um, of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the disunity was beginning to come forward because they would sit there and they would, would go on what they know and they were debating on who they were following and one would say, I follow Paul and another says, I follow Paulus and another says, I follow Cephas and another says, I follow Christ. And so everybody was fighting amongst each other and there was a whole bunch of disunity about who they were going to follow. And Christ, and Paul writes back and he says, is Christ divided? And so you see in in, in the book of Corinthians, what, what Paul does is he identifies a problem and then he follows it up with a solution. And that solution is he always brings people back to the gospel. So he identifies the problem, the disunity in the church, and then he brings them back to the gospel. So this morning, I'm going to draw our attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 18 to 31. Paul here is drawing us to the wisdom of God. I want to just take some time and just pray. Father, I just pray that as we read your word this morning, that you will speak to us. Father, speak through me. May the words that come from my mouth not be my thoughts, but yours. Lord, I just pray that you just use me as a vessel for what you want to share this morning. I pray that you open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to your word. And I pray, Father, that we will see the great penalty that was paid for our sin. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for the church that we are, are here in, that you have placed for us to be here at this time. In thy precious name. Amen. All right, so we're going to go into 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18 to 31. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent 
I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and the foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things they, that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us the wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Okay. I've lost myself there. It is the power of God. Paul clearly defines two groups of people here, right in this very first part, those who are perishing and those who are being saved. Scripture tells us in Romans 10, oh, here we go again. Oh, you should never leave a woman in charge of this kind of stuff. All right, hang on, we'll find it. No, we won't. Okay, I am looking for that one, Romans 10, 9 to 10. That if we confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Right there, right in that scripture right there, that is the gospel message. For those who are perishing and those who are being saved, the gospel message is here in Romans 10, 9 to 10. It tells us that if we believe in our heart, we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that we understand that he died on the cross for our sins, then we will be saved. It's simple. The gospel message is so incredibly simple. But what we fail to understand is back in verse 18. Now, watch it. Ah, yes, okay. Back in verse 18, it says, to us who are being saved, being saved. It doesn't say saved. It's saying being saved. It is the power of God. Somehow we have forgotten that salvation is a journey. Yes, when we come to know Jesus as our Lord, we are saved. But it is a journey. You see, within theology, there are three 
says three words that are used, justification. Justification means that there is a deliverance from the penalty of the sin. That is what happens when we accept Jesus Christ into our hearts. There is a deliverance from our past actions. We are cleansed. We are totally free. But then there's another step that we often forget about. This is why Paul has highlighted it here. It's called sanctification. It's a continual process by which God is actually making a person righteous. Sanctification is the deliverance from the power of sin. So you see, as we go on this journey with Jesus, the closer we get to him, the more we understand how much God loves us. How much he carries us through the darkest of times. How much he never leaves us or forsakes us. The closer we get to him, the further the world becomes. But some of us just stay at the being saved. We just stay at one spot and we don't continue to move on. And then the final step is glorification. That's when we get to eternity and everything, everything, the power of sin is gone. We don't have that presence of sin anymore in our life. That's the glorification. That's when, when we are in heaven and sin has no boundaries with us. It has no power. So Paul is emphasizing here the penalty for our sin through Jesus' death. Then as we draw closer to Jesus, he delivers us from the power of sin. And finally, when we are in eternity, we are delivered from the presence of sin. So we've got to realize that when we come to Christ, it just doesn't end. That's actually where your journey begins. This is where your journey begins is when you come to know Jesus. And then in verse 19, he goes on to say, and it's, this is quite interesting. He goes, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Now, this has actually been taken from Isaiah. It's around the story of 2 Kings chapter 19. I encourage you to go home. If you're taking notes, write that down. Fascinating, fascinating story. You need to go and you need to read this. Because what is happening here, and it's really interesting that Paul draws the attention of the reader to this specific episode. So now picture here. The Assyrians are about to break through the walls of Jerusalem. An army has surrounded Jerusalem. They are about to break through. The people of Israel are terrified. They are crying out to God. The king of Assyria mocks God. And King Hezekiah, who is a righteous king, goes into the temple of the Lord and he bows down and he prays. And he cries out to the Lord and he sends his officials off to the prophet Isaiah to tell him about king, the king of Assyria. And do you know what Isaiah does? He goes, meh, chill. Relax, God's got this. Now, I don't know about you, but when the walls are tumbling down in my life and everything is around and I can't see a way to escape, I'm not the one to go, meh, God's got this. Because I am human and I get afraid and I get scared. 
But here we see that Isaiah is saying, don't worry, you don't need to worry. God has this. Verse 20 goes, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made the foolish the wisdom of the world? Here we are. We've got Jerusalem surrounded by the enemy. There is no way to escape. The Israelites can't see what's good about this situation at all. And Isaiah is telling them that God has this. Do you know what's so brilliant about something like that is that we cannot understand the plans that God has for us. We cannot appreciate tomorrow because we don't know what it has, but God's got your tomorrow. All the knowledge in the world, all the strategizing would not have saved Israel from this position, but God handled it. How incredibly naive we are to think that we are wise. So what happened to the Israelites? Well, they went to sleep that night, and they woke up the next morning, and the Lord had put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. Did anybody pick it? Would that have been your choice? Would you have thought that God would have come and rescued you like that? But that is what God did. And do you know what the king of Assyria did? He retreated. He broke camp and he withdrew. And on his arrival back to Assyria, he was killed by his very sons. Verse 21 goes on to say, For since... For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Here, Paul is speaking about knowledge and, and wisdom. I don't know how many of you have ever watched Love Boat. The love boat da, 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 da. Oh, come on. All right, let's show hands. Okay, thank you. I wasn't the only lame person out there. That's really good to know. Yes, the love boat. I remember watching it as a young person. One of the things, one of the characters, funny the things that stick into our minds, eh? I remember one of the storylines was this guy brought this contraption on the boat. And he brought this thing on the boat, and it could, as you speak, as you spoke into it, it typed out what you were saying. And I thought, oh, man, that's cool. I thought, wow, we don't have stuff. Wouldn't that make life easier? And then he talked about one day we would be able to have the ability to see somebody thousands of miles away and be able to have a chat with them. And I thought, yeah, right. And now we have it, don't we? We have Zoom. We have devices where we can talk into them and it actually writes out what we are saying. My mind couldn't understand at that point where our technology would go, what our knowledge would take us to. Whole heap of knowledge. We've gone so far, haven't we, when you look through the generations to see where we are today. I mean, 20 years ago, people would never have expected for us to be where we are. So much knowledge, so little wisdom. You know, 
I love how an author puts it. You know, we, we, we have, in all this knowledge that we have, we've made excuses and we've replaced a loving and caring God. We brought in evolution. We brought in the Big Bang. And one guy said to us, he loves how, an, uh, I love how this author put it. He says, we, we talk, the world accepts all this stuff. And yet if we were to tell them that an explosion was to take place in a junkyard and a tornado came and ripped through it and blew all the debris around and when it all cleared, there was a jumbo 747 all ready to fly out there. People were going, you're nuts. But yet when we speak about a creator and the wisdom and knowing a God, the world turns to us and tells us we are foolish. Why is it so difficult for man to believe in God? The message of the cross cuts straight to the heart of self-centeredness. The gospel makes it all about Jesus and not about us. And the world doesn't like it because the world is all about them. It makes us completely nothing and it makes him everything. Verse 22 goes on, the Jews demand signs and the Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. So Paul is pointing out the difference between two nations. We see the Jews, and they were very matter of fact, and they were very practical. You see, the Jews have gone through generations and generations of miracles and signs and wonders, have they not? In the Old Testament, they, they saw the seas parted. They saw bread fall from heaven. They saw water come from a stone. I mean, the, the, the miracles that they witnessed were huge. And they were all about signs and wonders. But yet they struggled to see that Jesus, who came, fulfilled over 400 prophecies in the Old Testament. 400 prophecies Jesus fulfilled in the Old Testament. They couldn't see the Christ who was in front of them. They ignored God's word and they chased after the signs and the miracles. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul says, we live by faith and not by sight. And the Jews struggled walking by faith Throughout the time of Jesus, they asked him over and over and over again for signs and wonders. And then you have the Greeks. As mentioned before, the Greeks elevated wisdom. They were all about philosophy and logic. They had guys like Aristotle and Plato and Socrates. All of those people were the people that they aspired to. To the Greeks, this whole deal of the cross was just absolutely ridiculous. Their gods, like Zeus, they would never even think that their god would come down and rescue them. Their god was all about themselves. They were nothing in the sight of their gods. What god, in their mind, would leave heaven and become a human? Like you and I. Who would do that? What god would do that? What king would become a pauper? And they couldn't get their head around that. And not only that, this man not only came down in a human, but he died on a cross. Now, when you think about a cross, you and I, we have an aesthetically pleasing cross. But to the Greeks, 
that actually was a, f- a form of, of um, execution, a form of punishment. It was cruel. It was awful. It was kind of like in our day and age, putting an electric chair here on the stage and going, how wonderful. Isn't this electric chair just brilliant? Or, or what about if we had a guillotine on our stage? But we adorn these beautiful crosses, and we have a cross on our stage, but it's minus the blood, is it not? And it certainly wouldn't look like that. It would have been very rugged, and our Jesus would have had splinters. So to the Greeks, it was like, this is foolishness. What God would do that? Come down in a, man, in a form of a man and then die? They couldn't grasp it because, you know, all these philosophies, all these gods that they served, they would do nothing of that sort. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than any human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than any human strength. To you and I, the story of the cross is an amazing story. It's a wonderful story. It is a powerful story. Paul is telling us that man hasn't been able to break through to God. We haven't been able to break through to God, but God humbled himself and broke through to us. He came down and he humbled himself in the person of the Son of Christ who died on the cross for our sins. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise, and God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Seriously, we sit here this morning, who amongst us are great? I mean, if, if we were to die tomorrow, what impact would it have on this world? Probably with our immediate family and friends, yes, it would. But really nothing. We are but a drop in this massive world. But God loves each and every one of us. Why? What is the reason? What wisdom of man can understand the depth of our love of our God that he would care for people that society sees as nothing and unimportant? We aren't the famous people of this world. We aren't the ones that are making headlines. I haven't flown to the moon and walked on it. People don't know my name. I am but nothing. And yet my God died for me. Romans 12.3 reminds us not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. There's nothing you and I can do, nothing we can do to secure our salvation. It is only what Christ has done on the cross. Paul was reminding the Corinth church that there weren't many of them that were famous or wealthy. 
highly educated, powerful, or influential, but they were loved, and that Jesus came and died for them. It is because of him, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It is because of him that you and I are in Christ Jesus. Maybe you are a person here living a really great life and you're heading in the right direction. But this morning as we got together and we prayed, one of the things, I've been a Christian most of my life. And you know, you mentioned the gospel and sometimes the gospel doesn't feel fresh. We forget about the power of the gospel. And my prayer this morning was that we would get a renewing in our spirit, that we would get excited about what Jesus did for us again. So I want you to think about something this morning. Jesus often referred to himself as a groom. And we as his bride. And I didn't know, but if I was in a relationship, when I'm in a relationship with my husband, I honor him and I'm faithful to him and I love him. But somehow as Christians, it's very easy to forget our Jesus and to go and do our own thing and then come running back. And our Jesus is always willing and able to forgive us and love us. He humbles himself. But you know, have you ever thought about something like when somebody is unfaithful, the person who has done the wrong thing has to humble themselves and say, I'm sorry. But the person who has been wronged has to humble themselves even more to accept that person back. Can you imagine the humility of our Jesus to continually accept us back when we do him wrong always? How deep, how wide, how powerful our Jesus is. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, if God were proud, he would hardly have us on such terms. But he is not proud. He stoops to conquer. He will have us even though we have shown that we prefer everything else to him and come to him because there is nothing better now to be had. Our God is a powerful God. He is a humble God. He doesn't work within our boundaries. But the one thing our God does is he loves us. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what we've done. He died for us and he loves us this morning. This morning I want to challenge us. I want to challenge you. There are people here this morning who have been a Christian all your life, and you go, I have just gotten a little bit stagnant in my Christian walk. 
I need to feel the Holy Spirit work in my life again. I want to move forward. I want to find out more about this Jesus. I want to renew this salvation that I know is true. I'm going to call the worship band up. And then there are other people who might not even know who this Jesus is that I talk about. And you're going, what God would die for you? What God would forgive me for all the stuff in my life that I have done? You don't get it. You don't understand. No, I don't. But Jesus does. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. Because you know what? We keep sinning and he keeps forgiving. And he keeps loving. And that's something our world does not understand because our world would not do that. Our world would have rejected you long ago. But our Jesus, he doesn't. He loves you. So this morning I want to challenge you. We're going to sing a song. Maybe there's some of you here this morning that just want some prayer. You're in a bad place. There's some really tough stuff going in your life. And you don't know where Jesus is at this point in time. You can't see beyond the darkness of the walls. My girlfriend this week, she um, had been posting over the last few weeks that both her parents got COVID in Canada. And she was asking for prayer for them. And she just posted this past week that her, her dad passed away. And she said in her post, which my phone lost, she said that she will put her trust in God. She doesn't know what tomorrow holds, but God has her tomorrow. His love is so deep and so wide that nothing God does is outside his plan. What he asks of us is to trust him, to have faith in him. God knows your circumstances this morning. He knows where you are. He knows where you're sitting. He knows what's going on in your life and he cares. So this morning, we're just going to sing this final song. If you need prayer this morning, we've got a prayer room at the back, or maybe you want to come up to the front and just seek some prayer. We have people who can pray with you. We can have people who can talk to you. Let's sing this song together.